Good morning and welcome to WSAU Feedback. I'm Meg Ellison. It's a sunny day here in Wisconsin. Usually when it's sunny, it's always really cold, but we're having this great mild weather. It's really nice to have. It feels like a heat wave. No, it feels like we're on the cusp of spring, but naturally we know the groundhog told us otherwise. I am delighted to have joining me on the program, Congressman Glenn Grothman. Good morning, Congressman. How are you? Fine. It's always good to see my first, or any day, to see my first thing on my schedule is being live with Meg Ellison. Oh, so, well, thanks. In a good mood. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. So I will um, say this. I was thinking about this over the weekend when I was thinking about chatting with you today. I think we have known each other for since you were, gosh, since you were, a, weren't you, you, you started out as a when, state representative. When you, right? Yeah, when did, you, when did you first do this? Well, not not radio. It's just been about two years. But I'm I'm thinking, you know, Tea Party movement way way back. I mean, I'm talking. I, 20, I used to speak at all the Tea Party speeches yep. all around the state. That's true. I think there was another uh, state legislator who appeared at more Tea Parties than I did. You're exactly right. I think, I think maybe one of my most fondest memories of you. Well, one of the many is when when you were interviewed during Act 10, and there were, what were they? Well, you characterized them as slobs and something else that, well, that were camping out in, inside the Capitol. Well, it was actually that quote was taken a little bit out of line because they asked me why they should get them out, and I didn't mean the protesters are slobs. I didn't feel that way. I did feel that there were bums who were there, too, because the bums, at that time, the Capitol used to be closed at night. And therefore, the bums couldn't come in and sleep there overnight. But when the protesters were all there, Scott Walker made a decision he wasn't going to kick them out. So the bums took advantage of the situation, the homeless people, and uh, they came in the Capitol as well. And they were kind of slovenly, as homeless people tend to be. And so I made a comment on that. And, you know, it was kind of... The protesters some took it out of line, like I was calling the protesters slobs, which I really wasn't. Well, and I, I was referring to. Yeah, I, I didn't interpret right. it that way because I, I, I mean, I distinctly in my mind's eye can see some of the pictures of the literally the slobs that were camping out in the Capitol, and that is it. There's a distinction oh, but, between them and the protesters, although some of them could could be characterized as both. <laughs> That's true, but it, they, they, right, they, they used it like their own apartment or something. Right, and, right. Right, right, right. That's it's, true. Uh, That's true. So, so I guess, uh, boy, have times changed, and, and it's awfully quiet at the, at the Capitol in Madison now, and, and I suppose it's been, it was quiet for quite some time where you are, too, in D.C. after Nancy Pelosi closed everything for how long and put, put, uh, erected right, a wall around the Capitol? It, it's, it feels very different. Um, the one thing that doesn't really affect the public but affects the congressman is used to have all these metal detectors under Nancy Pelosi because they were afraid, quite frankly, they were afraid that uh, one of our congresswomen would use her concealed carry permit and show up on the floor. So for uh, quite a while now, uh, we have had metal detectors, which is kind of a bother, just like at the airport. you got to sit there, you got to wait, and Republicans took charge and we got rid of the metal detectors. So there's hope for the world because we actually did get rid of some metal detectors. And thought we'd never see it, thought metal detectors were just going to be in more and different places all the time in our society. But the Republicans are in charge 
of the state capitol, and we no longer have metal detectors to get on the floor. Yeah, well, and that's that's a good thing, I guess. I don't know if we can we can take any positive out of the recent State of the Union with Joe Biden. I mean, I think he he made it very clear, and I I, I don't know if if uh, if you were one of the Republicans that well that expressed your concerns during the course of the the delivery of his speech that i mean he he really just impugned republicans and it was lie after lie after lie and i mean i, I at one point I, I i believe it was borderline outrageous what he was claiming republicans again a lot of it is just the same old rhetoric that we're going to throw republicans are going to throw granny over the cliff and you take away social security and take away medicare the same old same old but then some of the some of the newer things that have been revived some of the newer narratives that were particularly upsetting like considering i guess again dividing us the divider in chief as opposed to someone who should be uniting us well, absolutely. Uh, we, we can talk about the border in a second, but let's talk about what I thought was his most divisive line, which has been a theme throughout the Biden administration, and that is how racist Americans are in general, and in particular, how racist the police are. And Joe Biden, right out of the chute in his inaugural speech, I believe he made references to racism four times and white supremacy once, I believe. Well, he came back to his major theme again last week, talking about how black parents had to have a special talk with their children, how to behave around police, because the police are so racist. First of all, so your listeners are aware, they have done studies on this. And, you know, studies about who you're pulling over, who you're not, who's getting shot, who's not. And uh, when you adjust for crimes committed, uh, actually, uh, the, uh, the white suspect uh, is more likely to be killed than, than the black suspect. Because unfortunately in our society, black people are disproportionately committing the crime. So when you hear people say that the police are racist and the police are killing black people, that is a lie. The press, of course, wants to fan the flames on that. And when a black person is uh, killed by the police, that, of course, is national news. They don't put it in the paper if a white person is killed by police. But that is not true. And for Joe Biden to sit there and use his administration, use his platform to tell America how racist the police are is just a horrible thing for him to do. Uh, he, he's got to apologize. And, of course, he infers, therefore, that American society in general is racist. And when I look around my district, I talk to people, people from Laos, people from uh, India, people from Latin America. They're, they're all doing very well. They're living the American dream. Actually, if you look, uh, Asian Americans frequently are doing better than Native Americans. If you say living the American dream is making more money, uh, nevertheless, Joe Biden keeps hanging in there talking about how racist we are. Uh, I think, it, it, depending upon his audience, it all has a uh, negative effect. I think we have a lot of young Americans who don't respect America today, and one of the reasons is because we have politicians like Joe Biden telling the young people what a horrible racist society we are. I think for Black Americans, particularly for black children, when they hear this, I think it may create a defeatist attitude to hear the white president spending all the time talking about how racist white people are. Maybe he is himself. I don't know. 
But uh, so it's a it's a bad thing for society. I wish Joe Biden would give it up, but he's now in his third year and he is still where he was when he came in the office. I wish the Republicans would talk about this a little bit more as well, because the Republicans don't address the issue, though, because they're kind of afraid of venturing into talking about race. So they just let Joe Biden ramble on. But unless the Republicans defend America, Joe Biden's going to win the debate. People are going to think, well, He's the president. If he say, says these police are all racist, maybe they are. Or, you know, black people may say, well, Joe Biden's this famous white guy. And if he spends all the time talking about how all the problems in the world are, are caused by racism, maybe he knows what he's talking about. But that's not true. Joe Biden's goal is to uh, continue to get 90 plus, 90-ish percent of the black vote. And by doing that, setting himself up as the savior the only one who can stand up to all these horrible racists. And I think it's so divisive. I think by itself it makes him a bad president. Of course, there are many other reasons, but I think his constant preaching about how racist police are is is just horrific. By the way, uh, he does have a bill out there. He keeps pushing it past the House where the Democrats had the majority, uh, and that would get rid of um, a certain sort of immunity for police and make it much more difficult for them to do their job. So uh, it's not just, well, it's damning enough to keep calling America racist, but if he gets his bill through, it's going to make it very difficult to be a policeman because it will be so easy to sue policemen for handcuffing people or whatever. So uh, really a horrible thing, and because he's done so many other bad things, it's not one that you know, is the first thing off people's lips when they talk about why Joe Biden's a bad president. But I think it's really up there because we cannot survive as a nation with Joe Biden or with our presidents trying to divide us and saying how horrible and racist we are. And it's our young generation is not going to be pro-American when they hear this garbage from Joe Biden as well. Well, speaking of bad presidents, let's also talk about, sadly, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, difficult subject to talk about, but it's important and imperative that we do. National security and the crisis at our border. I know that uh, you are part of the House Oversight Committee, and you met last week for your first hearing investigating the border crisis. Do you anticipate anything positive coming out of this? I mean, are we going to see some necessary changes, help for Border Patrol, a wall being built? I mean, is, is any of this ever... Are we ever going to see this under Joe Biden? I hope we force him to do something, either in the regular budgets or if he asks for more money for Ukraine. I mean, uh, first of all, Joe Biden in the speech, if you listen to it, some of your listeners, I don't know why you would have, but if you happen to, uh, he again, he kind of implied like this border crisis is something that is just arose. And he's trying to get the Republicans to do something or other and negotiate with problems to solve it. Your listeners should know that when Joe Biden took office, there were about 20,000 people a month crossing the border. There are now 238,000 a month crossing the border. So the number of people crossing the border has gone up by a factor of 11 since he took office. And that is all because of things that Joe Biden did. Actually, the most important thing his policy doesn't even cost any money. If he go back to pushing people to stay south of the border in Mexico pending a hearing, that would solve the problem. And when I talk to the Border Patrol 
I tell them, what do you need money for? They say, far more important than money is Joe Biden just going back to having people stay in Mexico pending the hearing. But uh, there are things you can do with money. Uh, the wall would be helpful. More Border Patrol agents would be helpful. Um, I personally think more dogs uh, dogs would be helpful and that we have this huge fentanyl crisis where so many people are dying. But we could use more money for all for those three things, and I think we can get more money for them uh, at, at, the, at the negotiating table for budget. On the wall, he's doing something uh, kind of clever because he's got the money for a wall. But what he's doing is he's claiming that we have environmental problems and we can't build the wall right now for environmental reasons and we'll hold it up in court that way. So a little bit more difficult to get around, but hopefully we can get around that as well. But like I said, the big thing, if you talk to the Border Patrol, and I've been down there talking to those guys again, I will be down there talking to those guys again soon. Uh, their major ask is not even more money. As much as they need more Border Patrol agents, if they would keep these people south of the border, uh, that would solve, you know, I bet 80% of the problem. So, Congressman Glenn Grothman, what's your take on the state Supreme Court race? I'm ta- I talk about it all the time with our listeners about how important it is that we not only get ourselves out to vote, but get others out to vote. We're at eight days before the primary. So I tell people, I've told people every day, eight days, eight people you need to reach out to to ensure that they vote as well. Right. We have to vote both times. I, uh, you know, I was kind of on the fence. I did hear Dan Kelly talk in Oshkosh about a week ago, and I was disappointed. Uh, he continued to say that if... He lost the primary. He would not support uh, Judge Doro. And he tried to give reasons for that, but there is no good reason for that. The reason for that I, I took away is that he would just be pouting. And uh, he he said that he's had all these people come up to him and say, uh, why did you tell me to vote for Justice Hagedorn? Uh, Hagedorn well, he has gotten some decisions, maybe not what we would have liked. He's still light years better than his opponent. But the thing I took out of that was I could not have been more in on Judge Hagedorn, and nobody has come up to me and told me, why did you tell me to vote for Judge Hagedorn? So I kind of question him a little bit when he says all these people keep coming up to him and say, why did you tell me to vote for Judge Hagedorn? Um, and uh, therefore... I guess I'm disappointed. I mean, on that issue, uh, it seems to be um, that Justice Darrow has a little, or Judge Darrow has a little more common sense, I would put it. And uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, it just kind of stuns you whenever you hear that question. And he, he, he says, I don't know who I'd vote for if I lose the primary. I mean, it just kind of it doesn't make you wonder. And, of course, he's been criticized for that on talk radio in southeastern Wisconsin. So he's been told, what are you doing? I mean, if you lose the primary, you're not going to weigh in on the general? And he's adamant, no, no, I'm not going to. So uh, it kind of is a very disappointing thing uh, from Judge Kelly. And uh, Judge Darrow, by the way, if you hear her, she's very plain. You know, if I lose the primary, I'm getting behind Kelly. So she's she seems to uh, 
understand what's at stake, uh, the more of the two. You know, it's I think the most frustrating, Congressman Grothman, is that so we Republicans, uh, and I think rightfully so, criticize people like Joe Biden for his his lack of unity. And yet there are so many Republicans that can't unify around uh, the common cause to beat Democrats. I mean, because that's that's ultimately the bottom line in all of this is that uh, we we unite around beating the true opponents, which are those on the left. Right, right, right. And this is, this is a perfect example. I mean, my goodness. I mean, if you don't know who to vote for in April, I don't care who comes out. There's a problem with you. I, I will point out that one of the things at stake here is this redistricting. And it sounds like kind of a boring topic, but it's a very significant topic. Uh, the um, Democrat, uh, who was a judge from Milwaukee, and I think your listeners, when you persuade other people, should point out, we have a huge crime problem, and one of the problems is they have lenient judges in Milwaukee. So I don't know why the Democrats are running a judge. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Protosayowitz. Yep. Say, say it again. Protosayowitz. Protosayowitz. Well, Protosayowitz is a Milwaukee judge, and there's a reason why, there are a variety of reasons why, we had about 225 murders in the city of Milwaukee last year. We have lenient judges in Milwaukee. Uh, and I hear complaints from DAs and surrounding counties about what goes on in Milwaukee. We do not need a Milwaukee judge on the Supreme Court. People can giggle and write, make cute ads about her name, which is what they're doing now. I saw one last night. But we do not need a liberal Milwaukee judge on the Supreme Court. It's bad enough that the people of Milwaukee elect liberal judges. We want to keep those liberal pro-criminal judges in Milwaukee. We do not need them representing the entire state. Amen. And, That's uh, a great point. Yeah, so I, if I were you, um, I would, please, because I can't be on here every morning, I, I would just keep reminding your listeners that we do not need a liberal Milwaukee judge on the state Supreme Court. I agree. Congressman Glenn Grothman, thank you so much for taking time on a Monday morning to join me on the show. I appreciate it so much. Look forward to our next chat. Very good. Thanks. Have a great day. Going to roll to the 830 News, followed by the second half of Feedback on WSAU.